CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. What a week. If you've made it to Friday in Options Action, here's what's coming up on The Big Show. A single, a buck, a simoleon, or an ace. The almighty dollar. Except when it's not. Carter Worth offers his two cents on why change is in the air. Then, there's a pattern emerging on tonight's show. Can you guess what it is? Professor Mike Coe has a geography lesson. And finally, the third hand-hammered leg of this artisanal option stool with an atomic number of 29. Tony Zhang has a play that will see you through. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. We start off with the news alert. 13FFs are hitting. Let's get to Leslie Picker with some of the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa, that's right. 13F deadline is not until Monday, but we've already seen a couple of filings hit this afternoon. Notably, uh, Dan Loeb's third point filing is out. He made some interesting moves in the tech world, notably increasing his exposures to some Chinese e-commerce plays. Uh, Alibaba upping that stake by about 26 percent worth about $742 million at the end of the third quarter. JD.com upping that stake by 37% uh, to about 30, $345 million at the end of the quarter. Uh, in kind of the FANG space, he increased his stake in Facebook by 32% to almost $300 million, uh, while keeping uh, in kind of other U.S. tech world, keeping uh, his stakes in Microsoft and, and uh, Pinterest at the same level. He also took stakes in two IPOs during the quarter. Palantir, he bought for uh, a stake worth $21 million and GoodRx worth $27 million. Now, of course, as with all of these 13F filings, these stakes and their values are as of the end of the quarter. In this case, it's the end of September and may have changed in the six weeks since. Melissa. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, and a lot, in fact, has changed for some of those in particular. I mean, Mike Coe, I don't know where you would go. I was thinking about Alibaba and how much market cap it lost after the suspension of the Ant Financial IPO. And that's just one example of how greatly things could change from the end of a quarter, which is, you know, when they're filed versus now. Yeah, that obviously was a, was a big hit on Chinese stocks, generally the tech stocks, what happened there. But, you know, it is also a situation where if somebody really liked a name, you know, at the end of that quarter, saw that news, a lot of those stocks are hard hit. It is possible, of course, that they took that as a reason to change direction, but it's also possible that they took that as an opportunity to potentially add to positions if they think that the situation could and will change at some point in the next 6 to 12 months. Yeah. Carter, what's your take on some of those position changes? Well, I mean, you, I think you talked about the best one. I mean, Baba, that's a meaningful give back. It's right down to trend. I think it's an excellent uh, entry point if you're not involved. And if you are involved and you've already taken this hit, stay. All right. Let's get back to options action now. Uh, did you know, because of the vending industry and the counterfeit currency industry, there's actually a law that prohibits redesigning the $1 bill? That is true. But there's also another law that is governing the dollar right now. And that is gravity. Carter will explain. Take it away. Well, that's right. Before we look at some charts, uh, the dollar's under a lot of pressure, uh, gravity, as you say, Melissa. And, of course, 
there's always a reason why. I'm not really in the why business, but some people say it's because the ever-widening account deficit. Uh, some people say the national savings is too low relative to national income, which it is. It's only about 1.5% versus historical average around 7 But let's look at the charts and see if we can divine it that way. What we know is the first chart, there is your U.S. dollar index, and I've annotated it with a a double top, meaning we know we had a peak in uh, late 16, early 17, and we reapproached that this year and we failed right there. Now look at the second chart, another way to draw the lines. It's the same 10-year chart, 2010 to 2020, and clearly we've broken trend. Next chart, third chart, put those two together. You have two well-defined formations, a double top, a break in trend, and you see I've drawn the arrow there. Uh, there's every indication that we're headed lower. Now a long-term chart. This is all data looking at the U.S. dollar going back to the 1970s. And you can see here we're working into the apex of this uh, wedge, if you will. And uh, this kind of thing usually sets up for something considerably worse. So the UUP um, is the trade. But first, here's a short-term chart of the U.S. dollar. And uh, you can see again uh, the breakdown potential. And then finally, the UUP, which is the ETF. Uh, to put on the trade, uh, we think this is going to break and going to break sharply. Mike, what's your two cents? Yeah, so uh, my two cents will only be worth about one cent, I think, by the time this is all said and done. I mean, look, we had some other symptoms of what's going on with the dollar this week. I know that everybody's been talking a great deal about Bitcoin, but that I think is symptomatic of the larger issue. And if you think about the secular trends that put pressure on the dollar in the first place, the situation in which we currently find ourselves sees none of those potentially reversing in the near term. Now, if you're taking a look at trying to trade UUP with options, there's obviously something you want to pay attention to, and that is that currencies tend to be very low volatility. And that's good news in one sense. It means that options tend to be relatively low priced relative to the price of the underlying. But it does make things challenging when it comes to spreading. And that is because if you're looking to sell options that are out of the money, there's almost no premium there. The other thing is that these trends tend to play out over longer periods of time. So I was looking out all the way to March. The at-the-money 25-strike puts, when I was looking at those earlier today, those would cost about 45 cents, so that's less than 2% of the underlying UUP. But, of course, bear in mind that 2% moves in a currency basket can be quite considerable. So that's the other reason that we're looking out a significant amount in time. And one other thing I would just ask people to pay attention to, Compare those March options to the price of the January 25 strike puts as well, which were well over 30 cents. So essentially you were paying only an extra 14 cents to own that longer dated option. We're mitigating decay. We're giving ourselves some time to revisit the situation between now and March and look for opportunities to potentially spread or roll. Tony, what's your take on this trade? Yeah, so as Carter said, we're not in the why business, but for investors that are looking to seek a little bit of that perspective, the one place to extract a view here for the dollar is really looking at Fed policy. And if and the Fed for months have been advocating for strong fiscal support with in conjunction with the monetary supply or the monetary monetary policy uh, to to continue the economic recovery here. But from, from the current perspective, a large fiscal policy a response is likely unlikely. And the Fed is left predominantly open for more QE. And that's a net negative here for the dollar. So when you take that into account in conjunction with the technicals, 
and you look at UUP as an ETF, it's been largely range bound since mid-July. And you have a potential breakdown below this $24.80 support level here. And a breakdown below this range actually projects all the way down to about $23.50 to the downside. So substantial downside here for UUP. So for those reasons, I really like Mike's trade and I like the fact that he's using a straight put and going all the way out to March, buying himself quite a bit of time. Because I do see that if, if we do get this breakdown below 2480, you're going to see a pretty quick and fast move and a straight put allows you to take full downside exposure here to the, uh, on UUP to the downside. All right. Well, let's play this all out and take a look at the impact of the dollar. So Carter, what's the next logical step? What emerges next? So emerging markets. And before we look at the charts, let's discuss that for a bit. Meaning uh, if and as you have a weakening dollar, we know that many emerging uh, economies are debt heavy. They've borrowed in dollars and a weakening dollar deflates their debt. We also know that many emerging uh, economies and countries are commodity exporters. A weak dollar helps uh, commodities. And of course, also, many of them are dependent on foreign investment and a weak dollar helps as well. So just a handful of charts, one, two, three, I guess. The first is the EEM, the ETF that uh, tracks emerging markets. Uh, no judgments on that chart. Next chart. Well, we have a well-defined breakout. To think that the S&P has yet to really clear its September high, EEM is on its way. And then the final chart, uh, you can uh, draw the lines this way. A well-defined level from which we're breaking out and a well-defined uh, uptrend. So we've broken out above the apex of the triangle, free to move higher. Mike, how do you trade emerging markets from here? Yeah, so taking a look at EEM, now one quick point is that as we were just talking about, this is sort of a follow-on to the conversation about the dollar, and that's particularly true of EEM because EEM is not a, a currency hedged ETF. You know, we had some data coming out of China, their export data for October that looked relatively strong. You know, we have this sort of dichotomy going on right now also with the pandemic. Are we going to see follow through on good news of the vaccine, or are we going to see some pressure as a result of an upsurge in cases? In any case, what's good for China is good for emerging markets, ETFs generally. But I do think that the way to play this is with options because we have come so far so fast, and any bit of bad news for the markets is going to affect that as well. So I was looking out to January, the 49.51 call spread, you could spend about 60 cents for that, spending a dollar for the 49 calls, selling the 51s against it. Uh, for 40 cents, that's a net debit of 60 cents. Now that's a little bit more than we sometimes like to pay for vertical spreads. In this case, we are spending more than the 25% or, or the three to one payoff that we often look for. But I think that's well justified here because number one, we have, as, as we just pointed out, seen such strength already. And sometimes paying a premium is justified. I think it is here. Tony, you like this trade? I do, um, and because if you look at EEM here, to understand the strength, you have to really understand a little bit as far as what you're getting exposure to in EEM, and something important for many investors when you're investing in the ETF to understand that. So when we look at EEM from a geography perspective, two-thirds of the index is exposure to China, Taiwan, and Korea, which collectively have about just shy of 1.5 billion in population, yet only about 200 cases a day of coronavirus. So those three countries, predominantly, life is going back to normal 
normal here. And if you look at it from a sector perspective, half of this index is consumer discretionary, technology, and financials, three sectors that we think are going to do fairly well through this recovery. So when you couple that with the breakout of EEM above a major resistance level as $46, as Carter pointed out, uh, you couple that with the weaker dollar that we just pointed out, this, the exposure that you get in this ETF I actually think EM can be substantially higher here over the next 6 to 12 months. So for that, for those reasons, while I like Mike's trade, I understand that he was trying to reduce his risk. And the $51 call options he's selling is actually reducing the risk of the overall trade by roughly 40% compared to just outright buying the January $49 call options. But from my perspective, because I believe there's substantial upside, I'd actually prefer to take a little bit more risk, take on a little bit more delta, or go out to February and spread this to about 49.53 to the upside, or just buy that January 49 call. Mike, you want to give a quick comment on Tony's uh, alternative trade? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good play. I'll tell you why I chose that 51 strike call to sell, actually. And that is actually probably more Tony's domain in Carter's than it is mine. But I was actually taking a look at some technicals. And it seems to me that we fell off of a level right around 51 in EM not that long ago. And generally speaking, when you have that kind of a situation, in my experience, you will run into some overhead supply. That isn't a long-term bearish or resistance type of a thing. But it, we are only looking out to January here, and so I was kind of looking at that level as a potential pause point, and that was the reason I was willing to sell that call. All right. We've got to take a break here. Don't forget our Options Action newsletter and website. Meantime, here's what's coming up next. Conduction, construction, wires, and plumbing. Copper could be thought of as the most precious of metals to the global economy. If the world needs it, then you should want it too. And Tony Zhang has a play to help you start shouting, mine, mine, mine. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Okay, so we started broadly with the dollar, focused down on the impact on emerging markets, and now let's narrow this funnel to something even more elemental on the periodic table. It is Group 11, Period 4, Block D, Atomic Number 29, Symbol CU. Obviously, it's copper. Now, Tony, uh, let's see what you got. See what I did there? Yeah, I want to take a look at Freeport McMoran. Um, which has had a strong reaction to the vaccine news. But for those investors who didn't chase this, who are being a little bit patient, I think you have an, an opportunity here to seek some long exposure. So if we look at a chart here, first I have a chart of the copper to gold ratio. Uh, this is a two-year chart, and we see that copper has largely underperformed gold for the better part of that. But since the March lows, it started to stem that underperformance. And if we zoom into a six-month chart here, we've actually started to see the copper to gold ratio break above the 200-day moving average a few weeks ago. And just this week on the vaccine news, break out above a major resistance level. And this solidifies, for me, the underperformance and now the outperformance here of copper to gold. And from an indicator perspective, what this 
gives us me confidence is in the shape and the and the uh, recovery of the global economic uh, recovery for from COVID-19. So when we look at a chart of FCX here, this is a chart, this is a stock that's all over the place. This, this stock peaked at around 2014, about $40, declined 90% down to $4 in less than two years, and now is one of the strongest stocks in the S&P 500. And it's just on the verge of a massive breakout here above the $20 resistance level. So from my perspective, I see an upside target here of about $24 here in the next two to three months. So the trade structure that I'm looking to utilize here reflects the $24 upside target that I have here for FCX and the fact that implied volatilities are relatively low here, only at about 10 percentile over the past 52 years, uh, past 52 weeks. So the trade structure I'm looking to use is going out to February, giving me about 90 days worth of time, and I'm buying the 20, $24 call vertical here, spending about $2 for the February $20 call options, and collecting 75 cents for the February $24 calls, net net here paying about $1.25, which gives me about a, a 6% move to the upside in order to break even here for FCX on this trade. Mike, I feel like Tony didn't like the uh, periodic table humor, but I think you appreciated it. What do you think of this trade? <laughs> I did appreciate it, and I, and I do like the trade, too. I mean, you know, this is an interesting situation because, of course, sometimes when you look at a stock like this one where basically it, it just appears to be going straight up, it's important to remember that sometimes that doesn't necessarily make it expensive. This one isn't particularly, actually. It's, it's trading at less than eight times enterprise value to EBITDA, sort of a crude measure of free cash flow. And there aren't a lot of places right now where you have a lot of potential secular tailwinds and valuations that don't look too stretched to me. So despite the big rally, I think that actually this is still a good entry point. But of course, given all the things that we've talked about, options are still the right way to do it. Quick thought, Carter, on FCX. Well, the incredible thing is, of course, on the low, uh, pandemic low, it was below its financial crisis low. Oh. And now it's come up smartly, but it's nowhere near where it can go, All much right. higher. Coming up, keeping up with the global theme into the home stretch, we look back on our trade on Japan and the other big global story this week, the race for a COVID vaccine. We map out a path on Moderna. That's next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back on one of our open trades, keeping the global theme alive. Several weeks ago, we laid out a bet on Japan. This is typically a very low volatility ETF that obviously sets up well for making directional bets, but it is slightly elevated like many global indices. We're seeing implied uh, volatility surrounding the election largely, so we're seeing a little bit of a bump there. I was looking at the January 63 calls in EWJ. Those were about 65 cents when I was looking at those and then selling the Novembers against it for 20 cents. Net net, you'd be laying out 45 cents per contract. Since then, this trade has worked out. So, Mike, what's your move now? Yeah, this went right to the strike that we basically put on. What you want to do with those short calls is you want to cover those. You can hang on to the longer ones. And that same thing actually applies to all of the calendars and diagonals that we recommended in November. Cover the short calls if they're in the money. All right. Up next, the other big story of this week. 
the promise of a COVID vaccine. Big news out of Pfizer and J&J. We're going to drill down on another major player in the space. Options Action's back right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. We've got some blockbuster news on the farmer front this week. Pfizer saying its COVID vaccine is more than 90% effective. And that got us thinking about ways uh, to play and what is playing out for some of the other drug makers in the race for a cure. And Mike, you did see some very interesting action in Moderna, which we should mention. Dr. Monsef Slawi, just in the uh, Rose Garden press conference, said that he expects data from Moderna in the next few days or so. What are you looking at? Yeah, so... Yeah, so Moderna saw more than three times the average daily options volume and call significantly outpaced puts. Obviously, we have what's going on next week that's a potential catalyst that most active options with the 90 strike calls, the 100 strike calls, and even the 105 strike calls, all of which expire one week from today. Obviously, when you have stocks that have moved this much, people who want to make bullish plays are trying to measure that risk very carefully and using options to do it. Yeah, Tony, did you see this action? What do you make of it? I didn't see this particular action, but just like Pfizer, where the, you had the you know, a big reaction and then quickly fading, uh, the stock is back to where it was trading right before the news. I actually think you might see something similar here for Moderna. The options are extremely expensive, so I'm not particularly one that's going to chase this. Do the charts of the vaccine makers, Carter, do they look okay? Well, they're starting to separate the winners from losers for mm -hmm. sure. Several vaccine-related stocks are down sharply from their highs, but that's not the case here. Important to say, of course, that this was the very first one to come to life when the so-called COVID hit the market. We gapped down the S&P February 24th. Very rare to get a gap in the futures. Moderna basically went from 18 to 30. It now looks like it's going to take out its highs. I like it a lot. I want to ask you a more abstract question, Mike, and that is what, in your view, is the best way to play positive vaccine news? Because it may not be a vaccine maker at all. Yeah, I mean, I think probably, and we've spoken about this before, things like uh, the Jets ETF was one of the things I think that Carter had mentioned. You know, things like that, maybe a Disney would be a way. This has been obviously a, a stock that's been under considerable pressure and might actually see some light at the end of the tunnel on something like this. It takes some time for those things to play out, but it's the hardest hit stocks that have the best opportunity. All right. Time now for the final call. The last word from the options pits. Carter Braxton Worth, what do you say? Well, we want to be short the dollar here, and we want to be long emerging markets, EEM. Tony Zhang. I like copper here on the global economic recovery. I'm going long FCX using a call debit spread. Mike Coe. Yep, for UUP, give yourself some time when you're trying to put those puts on. I looked out to March, and you can use calls or call spreads in EEM to make your bullish bets there. All right, we'll see you back here next Friday for more Options Action. Meantime, Mad Money starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.